Good morning. As Steve said, my name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are excited that you guys are here. As we get going this morning, I want us to play a little game. Are you guys up for that? All right. All right, we got to loosen up a little bit. Some of you literally just shook your head no to me. Oh my. I'm, I'm like, all right, we're playing a game, guys. Okay, I was, a, I was a youth pastor for a bit, and since it's Promotion Sunday, shout out to student ministry, kids ministry. So we're playing a game. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a little word association game, and I'm going to give everyone a word, and then you are going to look to your left, look to your right, and share a word, the first word that pops into your mind that's associated with that word that I gave you. You got that? Everybody good on how to play? Give me a thumbs up if you're ready to play. All right. All right, here's our first word, okay? Skydiving. All right, that's more than one word. You guys are now having conversations about skydiving trips that you went on, okay. Did anyone say dangerous maybe? Did anyone say fun? Did anyone say parachute? We hope that you said parachute, hopefully, right? All right, all right. So that was just completely a warm-up round just to get your brain going, okay? All right, Those ha- that one had nothing to do with the sermon, but these next few do. All right, here's the next one. Happy. Go. Anyone say joy, fun? Anyone say sad? Oh, you melancholy folks, you. All right, here's our last one. Here's our last word, flourishing. Go. First word that comes to mind, flourishing. Did anyone say thriving, successful? Any, any of you folks with a green thumb maybe say garden? Anybody? Oh, got a couple hands raised. All right. Well, I, I play this little fun game with us just to really get us thinking about uh, our passage this morning. These words, happy and flourishing, they are words, uh, they are ways in which the word blessed or blessed uh, in our biblical passage today can be defined. Jesus looks out at the circumstances of his disciples and says, Blessed are those of you who are poor and hungry and weeping and reviled. And so you could substitute the word that we just played in that word association game. Think about that. Blessed are those. Happy are those. Now maybe it's not like an American happy, right? It's a little bit of a different type of happy. But happy are those who are poor. Flourishing are those who are poor. 
So think about that. And then he says, woe. He gives words of warning to these folks. He says, woe to the rich, to the well-fed, to the laughing, to those who are well spoken of by all. And you see, Jesus gives this, this passage is known as this great reversal. Every, and we may be thinking, and the, the, uh, the disciples in his presence may even be thinking. Everyone around here, Jesus, you may read those words, you may see those words. Everyone around here is striving towards the things that you just warned us about. The things that you just said, woe to you. Woe to you who are rich, who are well fed, who are laughing, who are well spoken of. That's the things that we're striving for. You see, Jesus, this, this is the way the world works. You've got this upside down. And he says, exactly. I am here to usher in this kingdom of God, this upside down way of life. And we're going to turn the entire world upside down. This passage is also known as the great reversal. And Jesus says, blessed, happy, flourishing are these kind of folks that we're going to redefine their position. Those aren't feelings. Those are positions. Those are things that Jesus sees about them. So here's our question before we even dive in. We went from a game to I'm already reading the text. I didn't even tell you guys where to turn, did we? But here's our question this morning before we really jump in. This is a question for the disciples that were his audience then, and it's a question for us now, right where you're sitting. Do I trust the way Jesus defines me, or do I look to the world to define me? Do I trust the way Jesus defines me, or do I look to the world to define me? Here's what we're going to see in the text today. There are really only two kinds of people. There are those who are no longer their own, right? They live for Jesus' sake. We have no other king. That's one type of person. And then there are those who live for the comforts and the self-advancement that this world provides. I'd say, I've got a ton of other little kings. And it may be money. It may be my comfort. It may be my dependence. It may be my self-advancement. It may be the way I'm perceived. It may just be me. And we can have no other king. And so, my guess is, I don't think many of us would ever say out loud that we want to live for the comforts or we want to live with other kings. We want to live with an allegiance to other things other than Jesus if we're in this room. And I think the sobering thing for us is a person can just operate that way day in and day out. They can operate as if Jesus is Lord, but all these other things really just rule and reign my day to day. And so we can operate that way without repenting and bending the knee ultimately to Jesus as Savior and Lord. But Jesus thought it was important enough to warn those who were following him near the Sea of Galilee then 
and his warnings ring true for us today. So let's pray and then we'll jump right into the text. Father, we thank you for the book of Luke, God. We thank you that Luke recorded these words of Christ. And Father, we pray as we get a glimpse of the scene that is set here in this teaching of Jesus and as we hear these blessings and these woes, God, that they would, they would meet us and they would, they would transform in the, the way in which we live. They would help us help shape the way in which we think about you and about our lives and about our eternity, God. I pray that we leave here as people who can proclaim that we have no other king, that our allegiance is to Christ and him alone. And I pray that that would be the measure of our hearts today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 6. We are continuing in our study in the gospel of Luke. And we're jumping right in to Luke 6 and starting in verse 17. I'm going to read these first few verses for us as this first section kind of sets the scene. If you're a note taker, you can kind of label this section the scene. And so we're going to see the setting in the audience right here. Verse 17 says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said... We'll stop right there at the midpoint of verse 20. So, like I said, we're going to see the scene is set here. The, the setting and the audience of Jesus' ministry and teaching will be described and also summarized. This is kind of a summary passage for us in, recorded by Luke. And so, we see right there in the first verse, and he came down with them. What did he come down? Well, we look back to to last week. So he, what did he come down and who is them? And so Pastor Steve Lindemeyer preached last week about the newly appointed apostles. So these apostles that he took away uh, up the mountain and he, he takes them from being his, some of his followers to they are the apostles now. So he appoints them as that. So that he comes down what the mountain with who the apostles. And so this is where we get the Sermon on the Mount comparisons for this passage. So this passage in Luke is Luke's maybe Sermon on the Plain, some refer to it as. Is it the same exact teaching as Matthew's Sermon on the Mount? Well, some may say, it's so, say it is so, and some say it's not. A lot of ink has been spilt over this. Is this the same exact te teaching in Matthew 5, which Matthew really extends five chapters 5 through 7, or is this a different teaching? Well, there's a few different scenes that we can see here. In Matthew's setting, right, 
they are going up the mountain to teach. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, he's going up the mountain. Here in Luke, he's coming down the mountain. And then in a parallel passage, which doesn't have the Beatitudes, so it doesn't have this blessings, Matthew's doesn't have the woes. But in Mark chapter 3, he, this is the, the parallel passage to this kind of teaching and healing ministry of Jesus. It, what happens in Mark is they, this is the passage where they're kind of crowding in on him. Do you remember this passage? He tells them to do what? Get the boat in case we got to escape and get out of here. So you've got one kind of perspective, which is from the sea. You've got one kind of looking up at this flat ground. And then you've got one that's down looking down and he's going up the mountain. So are these the same thing? I say maybe to you, right? But here's the, here's the point. These differences don't, don't, they don't mean that there's a contradiction here, right? So like all good preachers, Jesus may have just said the same thing more than once, okay? So these aren't necessarily these aren't, these definitely aren't contradictions, but they may be some differences here, or they may be just a retelling of some of the same teaching. All right? So, in verses 17 and 18, who is this audience? So, this audience we see, they are, they are coming from all around. They are a great crowd of his disciples. So Steve did a great job last week kind of distinguishing. You've got these disciples, the 72 maybe and beyond of people who are following Jesus. And then you've got these apostles, the 12, those that we know of as the apostles and the disciples. We kind of use that language interchangeably. So now you've got a great crowd of those type of folks. And you've got a multitude of people from, with a Jewish background, Judea, Jerusalem, and then you've got people beyond that. So you've got a great multitude, a great crowd of people from Tyre and Sidon, Phoenician cities that were far off. Okay, so they're going to travel a great distance to hear this guy who they want to hear his teaching and they even may have some sort of sickness. They want to know, man, can I be healed? And so they're traveling great distances to get here. And Jesus comes down to them and he comes down on level ground with the people. He, I'm going to drive the camera people crazy, I'm sorry. But he comes down on level ground with them to teach and minister to them. That's what he does here. And that's, that's the setting. So I want you to travel there with me. He comes down on level ground and he's talking to a great congregation of people and he's healing them. And here's what he does. Check this out. Verse 19. Verse 18 and then verse 19. It says, they came to hear him to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. We've seen this already in Luke, haven't we? If you've been tracking with us or you've been attending here or you're a member here, or you've been following along. You've seen Jesus start to display some of these great miracles, haven't you? And so then it says in 19, And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. We've got this, this kind of power that we've seen back in Luke 4, 36. Do you remember that? 
It says, and they were all and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? You see that you've got the, the, the healing and the word together there in Luke 4, and you've got it together again here in Luke 6. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. He's got a different kind of power. And he, what does he do? He heals. How many of them does he heal? I, that was weak sauce. How many of them does he heal? He heals them all. You've got, you've got something teetering here. If you're, if you're in that audience, you've got something teetering here of, he's got a great power like we've never seen before. And he's healing all. If I put power and all together, all power, I'm flirting with the omnipotent here. He's making a claim, right, that he's all powerful. He's got a different kind of power than they've ever seen. So, I read verse 20a to you, you could say. And let's look at that again. It says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, This passage is really important. It is the context for everything we are about to read. These words are really, they're directed at who? His disciples. They're directed at his disciples. He makes eye contact and he basically says, and this is him saying, hey, hey, look up at me. Look at me. This is what I'm about to teach you. Pay attention here. And this is really important. I, I didn't see this. This is, this is one of those awesome, awesome things of just sermon prep and and uh, shout out to the, to the pastoral residency. One of my guys, Ben Miller, was just, he just couldn't get off of this verse, this little phrase. He's like, man, I th there's something there. There's something there. He just could, he couldn't shake it. And there is something there. He is speaking these next six verses to his followers, to his disciples, people who said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And he's telling them, Look up at me. I've got, some, I've got some encouragement for you, and I've got some warnings for you. Pay attention. I see you. I see what's, what, what your condition is, and I've got some words for you. So if you, if, you, if you hear that, and people think, man, the Bible is boring. Man, the Bible just doesn't hit. What does the Bible have to say to me and my current reality? what are you reading? So rewind the tape on that and, and not AJ's shameful, uh, what are you reading? But maybe like come alongside, don't be like your pastor, come alongside them and say, I'd love to read the scriptures with you, right? Don't shame them with the, what are you reading, fool, right? The Bible is alive, man. All right, so let's read, let's read the whole section 20 through 26, and then, uh, then we're just going to make some observations. I'm going to pair them up for us, and hopefully this will help. All right? So, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, 
Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. All right. These are four contrasting pairs here. I hope you see the structure, and I'll help us with that. We've got a chart. If you can put that chart up, so hopefully this will help you a little bit with the blessings and the woes. And so you'll see verse 20b will correspond with 24, 21a, 25a, 21b, 25b, 22 and 23, and then 26. All right, so we've got the poor and the rich, the hungry and the well-fed, the weeping and the laughing, the detested and the praised. And so these four contrasting pairs are what Jesus now uh, dives into. These are his beatitudes and his woes as recorded by Luke. And so thinking back to our word association at the beginning, our default way of thinking would be probably to change the headings, wouldn't it? If you just like put, put your hands up above the titles, which one would you describe as blessing and which one would you describe as woe? That just tells you about the context in which you live in. Do you see that? That's the way in which the world operates. Here's the, here's the incredible thing. These words over 2,000 years ago, they had that same jarring kickback. The way of the world has not changed. This is the way of the world. And it's the way of the world then, and it's the way of the world now. So, when, his, when, when Jesus' disciples hear this, these two sections are always just, man, it's the, the, the contrasting pairs are so easy. But I want you to think about this. Think about the blessings how contrasting, in a sense, they are to the first paragraph that we just read. You see teaching happening, right? You see healing happening, and you're following Jesus. And you're sitting here thinking, man, Jesus, healing, all this good fortune, I'm following you. This is about to come my way too. I'm ready. Hit me with it. The healing, the blessing, I'm ready. And he looks, he lifts his eyes to his disciples after that initial teaching in the summary paragraph, after the initial healing, and he says this, blessed, flourishing, happy in God are the poor, right? He's giving us a precursor to the way of the cross. 
He's, he's not introduced that language to his disciples yet, but he's giving them a precursor to it. He will though. He will in this book. We'll get to it. We'll get to it like 2027. This is like Luke 9, right? Luke 9. Take up your cross daily, he tells his disciples. Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's giving them a precursor to this way. Are we, this is what we have to ask ourselves as we follow Jesus. Are we going to choose comfort or are we going to choose the way of the cross? That is what is set before us as we take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. So blessed are the poor. Are you who are poor? For yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That's the, the first pair there. And it's all centered around this idea of comfort. It's important that we read these passages literally and spiritually, but not flatly. And here's what I mean by that. Okay, because you your mind can automatically go to the more popular Matthew chapter 5, which says, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? And that may be, may have some of that same spiritual meaning here, but it's not what it says. So let's read Luke for what Luke says, but let's, so that, that, that's what I mean by reading it literally, and we'll, we'll read it spiritually as well, but let's not read it flatly. So what I mean by not reading it flatly is thus, here's the application for this, you must become poor to inherit the kingdom of God, right? That's what you got to do. You got to become poor and you got to become what? You got to become hungry and you got to become weeping and you got to become hated. That is not how you read this passage, right? Remember, Jesus lifts up his eyes and he says, I see you guys. Blessed are some of you who are poor. And he knows their condition. And so what he's saying to them is some of you have given up your, your livelihood to follow me. And guess what? You gave up your livelihood, you put down your nets, and you're following after me, and you weren't really making that much money in the first place. So I get it. I see you. You're poor. That's your condition. And so when we see that, we also have to think about what does that mean, poor in spirit over in Matthew, but we look at it here for what Luke says. So this means a follower of Jesus' comfort must not be in material wealth, like the world says it is so, the upright kingdom, right? We're talking about an upside down kingdom. We're talking about a great reversal in the ways of the world. Jesus says, our comfort is not by what we see. We don't live by sight, but we walk by faith alone, right? We walk by faith. And so, this means a follower of Jesus' comfort is not found in material wealth, but is found in Him. So, when I think of, in verse 24, consolation, what a jarring word that is. It, it, it gets my attention. Because when I think of consolation, I always, I always think of, man, this is a good runner-up prize, right? 
a participation trophy. Here's a consolation prize. What that word consolation actually means is comfort. Here. Now read it. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Do you see what is happening here? There's, there's a timing issue, right? We're going to see it in the next two, especially because he's going to use the word now a lot. He's going to use now. You've received it now. But he's using it almost here in the woe. You've received your consolation. And then he does an interesting thing back up in the blessing. He says, for yours is the kingdom of God, here and now and forever. Your inheritance, you're an inheritance. If you are a, are a disciple of Jesus, you've got an inheritance now, the kingdom of God. It's yours now and forever. So he's playing with this timing. And this is a lot of the sin struggle that's happening in this passage. Are we people who are willing to trust Jesus enough to be patient, to wait for the rewards? We get some of this now as inheritance. It changes our identity, who we are in Christ. We're united with him. And he tells us, guess what? Your future, your future is incredibly bright. Your future is greater than you can imagine. Because you're not, your condition of being poor right now, it, it doesn't define you. What defines you is that you are eternally rich in God. You have a great reward, me, in heaven, for all of eternity. So he gives a woe to those who are rich. It almost is like he says, woe to you who are upper middle class in spirit, Tim Keller would say. It just has a shock to us. As we often forget that we're, you know, some of the wealthiest people on the planet. What am I living for? Does my, does my, does my wallet drive me? Does the number that I click on when I check my account, does that define me? If it does... You've received your comfort now. You've got it. That's all you're going to get. Comfort and Christianity do not often go together. 21A and 25A. Hope you're tracking along here with the chart. Blessed are you who are hungry now. For you shall be satisfied. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. These words are reflecting Jesus' current lifestyle. Do you see this? Jesus is living this sort of lifestyle, isn't he? He's living a lifestyle where he, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you think back, 
to, we did a three-week kind of mini-series in, in Luke chapter 4. Pastor Steve Heron did, it was incredible. Got to, got to go listen to it if you haven't. So is Jesus hungry? He goes out into the wilderness and fasts. He's living that lifestyle, but he's also probably just hungry because of he and the disciples' condition. So what is he dependent on as he reflects this to his followers? How is he satisfied? When he's tempted, he quotes Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. The rest of that passage from Deuteronomy 8 says, but by every word that comes from God. And then over in John chapter 4, what does he say? Do you remember this? They're trying to, right after the, the Samaritan, the, the woman, uh, the, he heals, and he's, he's, got, he's over in John chapter 4, and they're trying to give him some food, and he's, he says, no, 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 that's, that's not my food. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. That's my food. So he, so we're not reading it flatly, right? If you've ever been, if you've ever been to Hall's Chop House, hell awaits you. That's not the way we're reading this, right? <laughs> you guys got that one finally. All right, all right. All right. We're not reading it flatly, but we're reading, we are reading it literally, and we are reading it spiritually. What are you dependent upon? And I may ask that a better way. Who are you dependent on? My three-year-old daughter, she doesn't know where her food's going to come from if it wasn't for me or her mother, right? She doesn't know where the money to purchase those things is going to come from. Does she? Are we childlike in our dependence upon God? Lord, I don't know where my wealth's going to come from. I don't know where my comfort's going to come from. If it doesn't come from you, if my hunger isn't fed by you and your word alone. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. 21B and 25B there. You're like, dude, buzz kill Jesus at it again. Wrong way to read that, right? You can read that initially and be like, what in the world? Jesus is, is interacting with the guys who are the buzz kills, right? We already, we've already seen that. The Pharisees like, dude, don't do that, especially on a Sunday. Don't you do that. that, that. And then Jesus is joyfully ministering, right? If you, have, if you have that sheriff in the sky picture of Jesus, that needs to be redefined. It needs to be redefined by God's word. That is not who Jesus is. Is he holy? Yes. 100%. We serve a holy God. But man, is he gentle and lowly and joyful? Yes, he is. So, what is this passage saying then? 
Blessed are you who weep now. Their condition is probably tear-worthy, right? They have given up. They're counting the cost now. But also, let's read it spiritually, right? Let's read it spiritually. They have given up things, but they are weeping over their own sin. Disciples and followers of Jesus mourn their own sin. I am a desperate man. I need a savior. I need the omnipotent one who power comes from. He heals all with just a touch or a word. That is who I need. So woe is me, a sinful man, without a savior. But we have a savior. And so those who are able to delight and laugh in this world, this kind of way of rebellion, the way of the world, that is who Jesus is warning here. He's not saying, man, you enjoy a good laugh, highway to hell, buddy, right? You laughed watching a show. It's like, but we have to start taking inventory. Man, I want, to, I want, to, I want Christians, I want this community of believers to be some of the most joyful people that people ever interact with. Because not the condition of this world, not that our hearts are sinful and deceitful above all else, but because we have a Savior and because we love one another. That is the reflection to this world that we should give. That is blessed. And so we are mourning over that sin and we are mourning over the current condition of this world. But Jesus is coming back. He is coming to redeem all who trust in him. 22, 23, and then 26 says this. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Woe to you, verse 26, when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Mirror images here you see with the prophet language in these two texts. Anyone ever been excluded? Show of hands. You guys were real participatory like 35 minutes ago now. Come on. Anybody ever been excluded? Yep. Anybody ever been chasing the praise of man? Come on now. Come on. Right? I'm telling y'all, if people say the Bible is not relevant, don't put me on them. You, you go to them gently, remember? Right? You go to them gently. You come alongside them. Read the Bible with them. Man, this speaks to us. We've experienced this, haven't we? We've experienced this. We know what this is like. Jesus is, is bringing up these, these, these experiences that they're about to have. When people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil. I summarized it with detested. That's what 
that's what a blessed person is? That's what a person who's flourishing is? Man, that almost seems contrary. It, yes, it is. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Now, there's a passage in the pastorals where it says you should be well thought of by outsiders, right? And that is true. It's not contradictory to this text. What this text means is, have you ever met someone like this or have you ever pursued this? When you try to, when you try to please everybody, when you try to be well spoken of by everyone, what goes out the window? Truth integrity, right? It goes out the window. You're trying to please everybody around you. That won't, it won't stand. So Jesus is really saying, as much he references the prophets and the false prophets, and he says, as much as this way I'm turning things on their head, this way of the world, this is the way since, since the fall of man, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it has always been. Experiencing that kind of persecution puts one in company of godly prophets of old. These guys were hated, reviled, even killed some. And he's also preparing his disciples, the, the, the apostles even that we looked at, some that would follow him to that fate, some that would follow him to death, to a cross even. Some even church history records as being crucified upside down because they said, I'm not worthy to, to die the same way in which Jesus died. Crucify me upside down. Beheaded. And you see, the first three blessings and woes are kind of what we think about ourselves. But this one, it just stings different, doesn't it? It's not, it's not the way in which you see yourself, but it's the way in which others see you or the way others treat you. And this one just hurts. It stings differently. So, if that's what we're going to settle for, the favor of man, it'll have to suffice. For such a person is getting the only glimpse and the only taste of heaven that they will ever get. That's what Jesus is warning these people with. He's warning us today with. So, what do I think, feel, and do with this passage? Because it seems like Jesus is making observations about two ways of life. What do I do with that? Well, let's look at the one verse that we really haven't looked at yet. So we'll look at one command and we'll look at one implication as we close. Check out verse, the end of verse 22 and verse 23 there. So blessed are those that are hated, right? That are excluded, reviled, and spurn their name as evil. And then there's a, a super important phrase there. Do you see it? On the account of of the Son of Man. You're my disciples. This doesn't give you a license to go be a jerk just for no good reason, right? He says, you're going to, if you're hated, if you're excluded because of this, this is the reason why you can be excluded. 
on my account, for my namesake. This is why. And then he says this. Do you, he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Do you see any commands in this passage? Is it like, all right, go be poor, go be hungry, go start crying? Is that, are those the commands in this passage? Do you see the command? What is the command? Does anybody see it? Rejoice and leap for joy. So what am I supposed to do with this passage? If I have put my faith and trust in Christ, for those of us who know him and know the cost of following him, for those who find comfort in Jesus Christ alone, for those who are dependent upon God alone, for those who are repentant and mourn their sin, for those who are rejected for his namesake, on the account of the Son of Man, all on his account, for his namesake, Jesus says, he gives us what to do. He says, even in those, even in those conditions, you're blessed. You're blessed. Rejoice and leap for joy. If I could, I would like clink my heels together right now. That's what I envision when I think about leaping for joy. That's the command in this passage. Not do a bunch of stuff and earn your way to the kingdom. No, he says, if you've repented and trusted in me, rejoice and leap for joy. Live as though you have someone. You are, live as though you are someone whose future is with me, whose eternity is with me, for I am your great reward. It's in heaven for you. And so then, what is the implication of this passage? It comes from the warnings. It comes from the heart of the warnings. And it's repent and believe. Remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon? Guess who's, guess who's writing that? Guess who's recording that? Same guy who's writing this, right? The Dr. Luke. He's writing that down. And Peter preaches. He gives some warning. He gives some encouragement, but he gives some warning. And they say, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and believe. Let Jesus define who you are. Because Jesus is saying, look up at me. Look up at me. And he's saying, let me define who you are and how you live, not this world. And he's telling us, live on the account of the Son of Man. Live for my sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. God, we thank you that you have the power. God, you have power for all. And you are all powerful. And Father, as we hear these words, let them address us where we are. Do we need to be a people who just rejoice and leap for joy that we, God, we're sinners. 
We are sinners and we need you. And you've rescued us and redeemed us. And our, our immediate circumstances may not look like it. But God, we thank you. We thank you for the eternity that awaits us. And Father, the implication for those of us who are still the king and queens of our lives, I pray that we would repent and believe and trust in Jesus, the one, the only one who is worthy for us to live on his account and for his namesake. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.